Morning, church. We're going to be this morning in Luke chapter 1. We're going to be reading from verse 67 to 80. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, and before him in all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give a knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the dayspring from on high has visited us, to give us light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit, and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation of Israel. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us, Lord. Empower us. Speak through our pastor this morning. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're not doing too bad. Three weeks, chapter one's done. Well, not quite, but we're getting there. Now, as we look at this, we're going to tonight, or tonight, today, we're going to talk about the prophet of the Most High. And last time we saw the Son of the Most High, Jesus Christ, the one for whom the prophet came to prepare the way. So we just want to kind of remember where we've come through, some of the things we looked at earlier. Matthew chapter 11 Verses 7 to 11 says this, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Well, what then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. So what then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Man, John the Baptist was no slouch. Some exciting things that we can see if we'll, if we'll take a look at what he came to do and what he came to, to say. And one of the things that I love that Jesus says of him is that, look, you, you didn't go out to see just some show. You didn't go to, to be entertained. You didn't go to, you went because out in the middle of the wilderness there was this guy. 
all crazy looking. I probably didn't have a comb, so I'm imagining he's got dreads. And uh, and he's wearing camel skin, and he's he's eating wild, crazy food that nobody else eats, you know, and he's different. The emphasis for me when I look at the life of John the Baptist is that reality. He's different. You know, another way of saying that word, holy. He's holy. That's all it means. Set apart. Different from everybody else. And he's out there. And what was the one thing that that he did in preparing the way for the Lord? What did he call men to? Repentance, right? We'll look at that today as we take a look at what his dad prophesied about him when he was just a little baby. The prophecy that his father laid out for him. When we consider, we'll back up for a minute and just consider the angel's announcement. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. But I just want to remind you of three things as we look at it. The position, John's position. We want to take a look at that. We want to take a look at the source of his power. The power of John the Baptist and ultimately his purpose. So we look at Luke chapter 1. Just back up a page. Luke chapter 1 verse 13 and we'll remind ourselves. It says, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, for many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. The position that John was going to hold was that. He will be great before the Lord. But you know... Our idea, our concept of greatness in God's are not always the same. How many of you guys know that a lot of times the assumptions or assertions we make about how God thinks or feels are, are not always founded in the Word? So here's what he's saying about greatness. Hey, he's going to be great. And we have a lot of ways we might look at that, but we don't need to. We need to go, hold your finger there, we'll be right back. Luke 22, Luke, the same author, is going to tell us what greatness is. He's going, to, he's going to define it for us. So we don't have to say, I wonder what he meant by he'll be great. Well, let's look at it. What, he, what did he say about greatness? It says in uh, Luke 22, verse 24, A dispute arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Now, that still happens every day, right? That's nothing new. We're not, surely we're not shocked by that. <clears throat> if we're not arguing about which one of us is the greater, well, how about this? We're arguing about which one of our philosophies is the greatest. Oh, not that. We're, we're arguing about which one of our political schemes is the greatest. Or, or no, we're arguing about which one of our economic ideas are the greatest. And while we're putting together all those thoughts, I guess what I would say is maybe we ought to look at what God says great is. And maybe we ought to uh, realize all of that stuff, guys, that's outside. The, the main thing, and one of the things we got to remember, you know, uh, this may shock some of you guys. Okay, be ready. Deep breaths, everyone. The ch- there's a chance that there's a liberal sitting next to you. Oh, no, Kelpy, This is church. They don't go to church. No, man, listen. That's all philosophy. That's all concept. And here's the problem. We just assume if you're a Christian, you think like me. And listen, that's not right. 
It's not right for us to divide. In my prayer, I used a word. Lisa said I should define it. I said, I said, uh, forgive us for the schismata. That the word schismata means schism, division. It means that we divide over a bunch of stuff. We divide over whether or not you're pro this or 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 anti that. And some things where the Bible is clear, the Bible's the final authority. So then your arguments with the Bible. But there's a lot of things that aren't in the Bible. And we sit there and we want to we want to make everybody think like me. That's not a requirement. How many of you guys are married? Anybody? Want to admit it? How many of you have been spending your time trying to make your spouse think like you? How's it working out? Yeah. Here's, here's one of the things we gotta, we got to get our mind around. Some of, some of the things we got to understand when we look at greatness. You know, people have... Uh, I, don't, I hate the word right, but I'm going to use it. To their opinion, it's okay. It's not... We don't have to go crazy. Do we? You know, once upon a time, men used to be able to sit around a round table and discuss ideas. And if you come to that round table and you have an idea that maybe I can learn something instead of I'm going to convince everyone that I'm right. Or, let me put it another way, let me convince everybody that I'm the greatest. Or my ideas are the greatest. If we recognize that there's an opportunity for us to learn from the least of these to the greatest, the church would find that schism, that division, start to fall away. And we'd find ourselves being able to link arms and link shields together with people who maybe have different idea than me. Think about it like this. Once upon a time, Paul said, To the Jew I became as a Jew, that I might do what? Win the Jew. To those who are under the law, I became as under the law. To those who are without the law, I became as without the law, although not without the law of Christ, not as a point to sin. But the point is, I didn't use all these different philosophies and ideas to divide. I used them, I, I came over, crawled over those divisions so that I could minister the gospel. Oh, let me put it in words you might understand. To the Democrat, I became as a Democrat. To the Republican, to the Constitutionalist, to the one who has a different philosophy about refugees than I do. Just want you to think, just for a minute, as we're talking about the greatest of these, how much nonsense divides us. And how many times the division is caused by the rattling of my saber in demanding that my view is the right one. Anybody here ever had their view change in their life? How about, have you ever had your view change when you were pretty sure you were right? And then you go, whoop, that changed. Ah, that's happened to me. Okay, the one place that I can stand firm is on the Word of God. So the Word of God says something, I can stand on it and say, yep, there it is. And that's what I try to use to to guide all those other philosophies. And I think we need to recognize that that's what the Lord wants us to do. There was a dispute among them who was the greatest. What philosophy? What ideal? What concept? We ought to be able to sit around a table and discuss those things 
and walk away brothers. I watched a thing on YouTube called the Evening of Eschatology. I've talked about this a lot. But a Evening of Eschatology is four guys with different eschatology. You guys know what eschatology is? Eschatology is the study of end times. Now, I can guarantee you, somewhere in this crowd, we have someone, at least one person, maybe more, who absolutely believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they are completely right about their eschatology, how the end is going to come. I watch these four guys sit around a table and discuss, round table, and discuss the differences and their ideas and their concepts, and I watch them laugh. And I watched them hug. And I watched them. Nobody changed. At the end of the day, they still were who they were. But they were able to express their differences. You know why? Because they weren't arguing around the table about who was the greatest. That's what we do. Right? Who's, who's, whose opinion on the greatest motorcycle? Oh, oh, we can talk about that, huh? Or is it... Uh, Dodge, or Ford, or Chevy. Oh, Lord have mercy. I don't even know what to do with the Jeep, guys. Okay, but, but here's what I want you to, to gather from all that. that you know, those, they're kind of silly things, right? But we take those silly things and we bring them into the way we look at the world. And how should we, how should we reach out to the poor? And all of a sudden, it's not the Word of God telling us how to do it. It's our philosophy. Does that make sense? They were arguing about who's the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. These are the people who are there for our, our benefit. But not so with you. This is Jesus talking to his people. That's not how it ought to be with you guys. Rather, let the greatest among you become like the youngest. Let that soak in for a minute. Now, I don't know if any of you guys ever experienced this, but my dad would get in these incredible theological debates around the kitchen table with all my uncles and people who come over to the house. And even as a kid, I wanted to, I wanted to get in on that. I got an opinion, and I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I want to talk about it. So I'd come up to that table with my opinion, and what do you, what do you think my dad would tell me? Hey, son, you're too young. Just listen. What do you think Jesus is saying? He tells us in his word, the book of James told us, right? Be slow to speak and what? Quick to listen. Have you ever listened? I mean, really listen? Like, listen. Not like most of us listen. Not like I listen to my wife when a football game's on. Sorry, hon. But she knows nothing was greater than when uh, you got a pause on TV. So she could just hit the pause button and say, look at me. Look, look, right here. I mean, really listen. Really hear. Really hear what's going on. Because I think this is, this is one of the things that Jesus is alluding to, guys. He says, not so with you. Rather, <clears throat> among you, become like the youngest. And the leader as the one who serves. As the one who has something to learn. 
as the one who can learn to have compassion or empathy, maybe with the man across the table. For who is the greater? The one who reclines at the table in charge or the one who serves? Jesus is asking. Is it not the one who reclines? That's the way our world looks at it, right? The master, he's the one who is in charge. And then listen to what Jesus said. But I am among you as the one who serves. And in Mark, it says Jesus came to seek and to serve. To come and give his life a ransom for many. That's what the greatest is. The greatest is not the guy with the loudest bullhorn. Or the sharpest sarcasm. Or the greatest argument. I think I have some Jim Dandies. The greatest is the one who can listen. Who can hear. Who can find the truth that gives a path of peace to his brother. To recognize that we are not those who see it all the same way. And this is how John came. John came. He was going to be great before the Lord. And what made him great before the Lord? He, has had a, he was a one-string banjo, guys. What did he call people to? Repentance. He said, hey, we've drifted away from the Lord. We're, it's no longer about God. It's, it's, it's become about us. Guys, repent. Turn. Come back. Hear the words of God preparing the heart of the people. Well, what was his power? Look what the word goes on to say. It says, uh, he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that those two things go together. No? You guys ever read Ephesians 5.18? What does it say? Do not be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Funny how those two things went together again. I don't believe in coincidence, do you? Now look, this is not a message on drinking. You do what you want. But if we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that needs to be our focus. Filled with the Holy Spirit. What was John? He's filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Definite call of the prophet. Man, his power is the Holy Spirit. And what's the result? What's the result of that power? Look what the scripture goes on to say. He says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now here's my question. Wait, here's my question. Hold on to it. It just said he was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. And then it went to the pronoun he. My question, who does he refer to? Is it going back to John? Or is it pointing to the Spirit? He is going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord your God. How do people turn to the Lord? Who calls them? Yeah, the Lord calls them. How does He do it? Through His Spirit. His Spirit comes alongside and draws men to the Lord. And here we see, I think this is Spirit that's doing the work. The Spirit is, is, is working in the hearts of the children of Israel to open their eyes to the Lord, and He will go before Him. Now it's talking about John. He will go before Him in the Spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Man, he's going, to, he's going to bring people back. He's going to bring people back to open their eyes. It's a prophecy. The Word of God tells him, Malachi, 
Malachi 4, 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. It's funny because one of the things I think he's talking about, I think he's alluding to, is they'll begin to see the legacy laid out before them as the children of Israel. I think the fathers that he's talking about are the patriarchs. You know, the guys who who did it, who were walking with God. And so people will start once again to look at the example of the patriarchs. So once again begin to see the value there within the fathers that, that went before us. In Hebrews it says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The idea of all those in, in Hebrews chapter 11 who have gone before us walking in faith. So we see this, this attitude of hearts looking back to the truth of what the Word of God lays out for us. Well, John, John's not Elijah, guys. In Malachi, if you look at Malachi 4 closely, it says, And I will send Elijah. Him. John has come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He's the forerunner for Christ. But that Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world, right? That's what, that's what John 3.17 tells, right? Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but, uh, but to save the world, that through him the world might be saved. <clears throat> but the great day of the Lord... That's judgment day. And the Bible says Elijah will come before that. Before that judgment day comes, Elijah himself. That's why a lot of people point to him as one of the two witnesses. In the book of Revelation, we can argue about all that stuff later. But the idea, in and through and by, here we have the spirit of Elijah. How does that all happen in John's life? How is all this coming through? The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is upon him. It's got him moving and working. And then finally we see his purpose. We see his purpose to preach repentance. Hey guys, we're on the wrong road. Man, I wasn't paying attention to the road sign and I found myself on the path of destruction. And the path of destruction brings destruction and death. And when I look back at the scripture in Deuteronomy, God said, look, I have set before you today life and death. Blessing and cursing. And then the Lord said to the nation, choose life. Now maybe you think you make that choice one time. But I've discovered there's a lot of crossroads in life. And if I'm not paying attention to the street signs, I can find myself on a path I don't want to be on. I can find myself with views that that maybe I ought to surrender. I can find myself struggling. So I want to pay attention to the road signs. Right? Jesus said, narrow is the way to life, and broad is the way to destruction. Now, it has nothing to do with meaning few or many. The point of narrow is hard to find, and broad, easy to find. Broad is the way water flows. You dump water on a hill, where's it go? Down. It's not hard to figure out where water goes, right? But the narrow way, that's a little different. How many of you know sometimes the things God calls us to do go against our nature? Anybody ever experienced that? Yeah, every, every once in a while there's something God asks us to do that goes against our nature, like love your enemies? Yeah? Um, those words are in red. I'm sure there are people who'd like to take them out, but you can't. They're there. So we look at it, we see he's going to preach repentance. He's going to say, guys, we're on the wrong road. We need to get on the right road. 
Guys, we're not standing where we need to stand. We need to get where we, where we should be standing. In my life, th- listen, I'm not talking about salvation, so don't, don't get your noodles all bent around Axel. I, I got some crazy eyes looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? Okay, look, in our life, in my life, I find myself on a road of destruction and then the road of life. And then I mess up and I drift. We've all done it. No? We haven't. None of us have never fallen away. None of us have ever chosen sin. None of us have ever chosen to do the wrong thing instead of doing what we know the Word of God calls us to. Well, if we have, we weren't paying attention to the road signs and we got on the path of destruction. And the fruit on that path is destruction. So the call to repentance is to do what? Get off the road. Get on the right one. That's all repentance is. Repentance is, oh, I wasn't paying attention, and here I am on the Broadway. I need to get off the Broadway and get back on the narrow way. How do I do that? I follow Jesus. Isn't that where he is? Jesus says, come and follow me. What path is he walking? Path of life, right? He's walking that narrow path. So this is what John the Baptist is doing. He's calling people to repent. He's preparing the people for that moment when Jesus will stand before them. He's preparing the people for that day when He will say, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's the guide. He'll take you right on the path you want to walk. Follow Him. That's what John is doing. Well, let's look at verse 67. John 1, 67. All that's preamble. <coughs> and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So this is a prophecy and praise coming from the lips of Zechariah, the father of John, right? Praising God for his plan. How many of you are able to do that? Praising God for his plan, what God's plan is, what God's purpose is in your life. And the first thing he's going to praise him for is his plan of redemption. Look at it in verse uh, 68. He begins, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. There's the praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Why? For he has visited and redeemed his people. So the first thing he's he's pointing at is the plan of redemption. And that plan of redemption, he has redeemed his people, is rooted in his compassion. How do I know it's rooted in His compassion? Because He said, He visited us. He visited us. It means to look after. That word means to look after. It's used often in the Scripture. In in Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, it says, And the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and seen their affliction. What, What are they saying? God knows we're here. God saw us. God has a plan. God's looking out for us. In Luke 7, 16, it says, Fear seized them all, and they glorified God and said, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited His people. Why would the people proclaim that in Luke chapter 7? Because God hasn't said anything, guys, for 400 years. So far, the the speaking that we've seen, the only prophet that we've seen is an angel showing up in in the quiet to talk to Zechariah where nobody else can see, and to talk to Mary where nobody else can see. Nobody else knows that God's talking yet. When does everybody else know God's talking? When this crazy guy with the dreadlocks comes walking out of 
the wilderness and stands before the people and calls them to repentance. The people know God's talking again. What's he saying? We're on the wrong road. We need to repent and get our hearts right. We need to repent and get our hearts right. This is the call that he's laying out for them. But not only has he visited and redeemed his people, verse 69 says, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The next thing he points to, not just the, uh, the idea of, of his plan of redemption and the compassion in visiting us, but Messiah is coming. That's what that means. He raised up a horn of salvation. The horn, a horn is a picture throughout prophecy and, and the writings, the ancient writings of the Jews of power. It speaks of two things, power and person. Power and person. Not just a horn like honk honk on your bicycle. Not a horn sticking out the top of your head like a horn on a, on a bull or something. Nope. This horn is the horn of power. It speaks of power and it speaks the reality of a person. So he's saying, hey, there's a powerful person of salvation that's going to be born a, a servant in the house of David. What's the greatest? Someone who serves all, right? He's going to come. He's, going, he's coming for this purpose. He's come to save the horn of salvation. Look at verse 70. Not only that, But he also told us this. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. He spoke. Which ones? All of them. That's the short answer. You want to look up a few? Isaiah 53, Jeremiah 31, Zechariah 12, Daniel 9, Micah 5. But you pick any prophet you want. And he has spoke of the coming of Messiah. That we would be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. That we would be saved. The salvation of the Lord. Now when we talk about that, you don't think that all those hands are just human, do you? Save us from the hands of those who hate us. Is that immediately where your mind goes? Talking about all the humans, all the bad people on earth. Because later on, Paul's going to say, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. What's he going to say? We wrestle with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. Who are those people? Who are those beings? Who are those beings in rebellion against God? Uh, Angels, demons, whatever. We have a real enemy, guys. A real enemy for the souls of men. And then he he lays out for us his purpose. Not just the plan of redemption. This one, this horn, this person is going to save us. But the purpose. Look at verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers. The purpose of redemption? To reveal the mercy of God. To reveal God's mercy. To show the compassion of God. He doesn't come in judgment. He comes... In mercy, to provide a way, to make a path, to show us the street signs, to help us walk the path laid out before us, to reveal mercy, and to remember His holy covenant. That's His promise. He wants the purpose in redemption to remember His promise, to remember His promise. What is it that it is saying to you and I when God remembers His promise? He is faithful. 
He's faithful. He don't break his word. He keeps his word. We don't, we don't often want to think about the word that he keeps, do we? <laughs> Romans chapter 8, man, that's a great, great, powerful scripture filled with hope. Maybe, maybe you don't remember this part. I sent you out as sheep among wolves for the slaughter. And sometimes we turn on the news and we say things like, where was God? Well, God said, nothing separates you from his love. Not death, not life, not principalities or powers, not things present nor things to come. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. For his sake, we are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. It's not about us. When we surrendered, gave our life to him, it became about him. About a work that God is doing. And here's the good news, guys. All the pain and suffering that is very real and requires our prayer and compassion, all of that will be made new in Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, you have no hope. In Jesus Christ, you have a promise. And God is faithful. He keeps his promise. Jesus said, watch, I make all things new. Look, I don't know what that's going to look like, but that's what I'm holding on to. When I see suffering in the world and the hurt and pain that man does to man, and the cries as men shake their fist at the God that they think they can't know, I hold on to the reality that God has declared, I make all things new. And He is faithful to keep His promise. He is faithful The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant to us. What is he granting to us? That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him, how? Without fear. How are we supposed to serve him? Without fear. Are we supposed to serve him afraid, scared of what's going to happen next? Or are we supposed to serve him without fear? Man. I got him. I'm good. Does that mean nothing bad can ever happen? No, we all live in this broken place, don't we? But there's a man on high declaring, Come unto me, all you who are broken, and I will make you whole. And praise God for every man that will hear that call and come and receive his healing. For the scripture declares to us in Isaiah 53 that by his stripes in the fact that his flesh was broken for me I am made whole he makes me whole in him I want to hold fast to that promise we have been delivered so that we can serve him without fear what why why has he saved us it wasn't just so we're saved do you get that if the end conclusion was I saved you just so you would be saved then the minute you prayed the prayer of salvation, it makes sense that God would just take you then. But he didn't. Why? Because he wants you to serve him. We've been saved to serve. 
to be hands and feet of our Lord. The beauty of some of the things that I have had the opportunity to see. I don't remember you guys, if many of you guys were here, we had a fellow come from the Sudan a long time ago. And, and he was sharing about the, uh, I think they call them the lions of the tribe of Judah, actually. But the, the, this group of chaplains that serve in the army, in the, in the forces that are fighting against those guys that are kidnapping kids and, and doing all that stuff in, in the Sudan. And so what would happen is the men would freak out, run away. And the armies would come in and conquer and destroy. And then uh, uh, you have all these horrible atrocities take place. So they started putting chaplains in with the, with the men. They started training them in the Word of God. And they taught them how to fight. And they taught them how to use their weapons and all this stuff. And one of the coolest things I saw was one of those guys say, maybe some of you guys remember this. He, he said, one day he just laid his gun down and said, I don't need it. He said, I don't need that. He'd say to the guys, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pray all the bullets miss. They all miss, and they will stand up in the middle, and all these guys are shooting everywhere, trying to kill everybody. And in the middle of it all, there's this guy who honestly and incredibly believes that, that God's gonna deliver him, and it fills all the men who used to run with courage, and they don't run anymore. So that the women aren't mutilated their children aren't stolen and sold into slavery all the crazy things that go on but i also want you to know this sometimes that guy who stands up and says bullets aren't going to hit me no more gets hit and dies and then our question is oh where was god god didn't deliver god was right there saying to my brother who has more bravery than I could ever muster up. Well done. Come on. And you know what happens when it happens? There's another chaplain standing in the gap right away. Sometimes one of the guys that's been there watching this guy tell him about the Word of God and teach him about the sacrifice of Christ, and then he stands up in the gap. Hey man, I'm a big proponent of guns. I got lots of guns. I'm not going to change this world with a gun. I'm not going to change this world by shooting the lost. I'm not going to change this world by killing the people who think different than me. I'm going to change this world because I'm willing to stand up like Christ calls me to stand up. When Christ calls me to stand up. The way Christ calls me to stand up. And people will be changed by the power of God flowing through the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. Being real. And some of them may die and some of them may live. And to, the, to, the, to God go all the glory. It was no different in the Marine Corps. When I was in the Marine Corps, that's how it was. It's, you guys know it's random on a battlefield? Ask those guys who stood up who were vets. The battlefield is, is well, at least in our view, random. Guys get hit, guys get hurt, guys get killed, and you think, how in the world? I was there, how come I didn't get hit? I don't know. 
I don't know. Because God's in charge. I just trust Him and do the next thing in front of me. Apparently today was not my day to meet the Lord. But nonetheless, I want to be able to stand and recognize that God is faithful in fulfilling His promise. And He is purposeful. He has a plan for us that we would serve Him in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And then in verse 76, he goes on and says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High God. There's the title. His name. You're the prophet of the Most High God. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. So He wants them, listen, to understand the nature of His ministry, to prepare the way, to prepare hearts, to give the knowledge of salvation. What's the knowledge of salvation? How do I get knowledge of salvation? How about we start here? I'm a broke person who needs forgiven. Anybody else in here like that? I'm a person who needs the forgiveness of God. I'm a person who needs the redemption of God. I'm not a person that does everything right all the time. I'm a person still sometimes who chooses the wrong thing, the wrong time, the wrong word, the wrong stuff. How did John prepare the way of the Lord? He got people to start thinking about the reality that I need forgiven. I need forgiveness. I need redemption. So that they would understand the remission of sin. And why do we get the remission of sin? Why is there forgiveness for us? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Look at the next line. Because of the tender mercy of our God. He gives us not what we deserve. He gives mercy. Thankful for that. Are we people who sow mercy? When God gives us compassion, are we people who serve who sow compassion? When God gives us love, are we people who sow love? That's the kind of attitude that I want to have. That's what I want flowing through me. So that the knowledge of and the understanding of salvation is going out before us. And how is it? That we receive it, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Love how they put it. The day star will rise in your heart. What's he talking about? The sun coming up. That we have been in darkness. And then when the sun comes up, what does it do? It dispels all the darkness. When we find ourselves in a place where we're in despair, what is it that the sun rising in our hearts accomplishes? The S-U-N. What does that do? It drives out the darkness. It brings in the light. It brings in the warmth. And this is what John was doing. He was preparing people for that. He was preparing people for the sunrise. So that when Jesus would stand before the masses and say, I am the light of the world, they would recognize the sun has come. It's dawn, the sunrise in our heart, the springing forth of the day star. Listen to how Malachi puts it. Malachi 4.2 But you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, not S-O-N, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. The sun of righteousness, the light will dawn. It will show you the darkness. In 2 Peter 1.19 
It says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. How? Like a lamp shining in a dark place until what happens? The day dawns, until the sun rises, until the light of God shows us the darkness of our ways. We want the light of God to rise in our hearts. Revelation 22.16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. For I am the root, the descendant of David. I am the bright and morning star. What's he saying? I'm the sunrise. I'm the sun of righteousness who rises in your heart with healing in his wings. I'm the one who brings the, the wholeness. I'm the one who brings forgiveness and the tender mercies of God. I'm the one who brings the attitude of salvation and, and the righteousness that God has. For what purpose? Why is, it, why is it rising? Look, in verse 79, to give light to those who are in the darkness and in the shadow of death. Anybody ever been there? Light in the darkness and those who are in the shadow of death. That phrase, shadow of death, it's an interesting phrase. It, it is like the darkest despair of the human soul. That's what it is. It's not like... Uh, uh, you know, somebody who's just about to die, although you may be in the darkest place of the human soul at that moment. But sometimes, for those of us who struggle with with some of the concepts of depression, you might realize sometimes that that darkest night comes out of nowhere. And what is it that the Lord is promising? I'll be the light that dawns there. The psalmist said, where can I go from your presence, Lord? Where can I go? If I, if I make my bed in heaven, you're there. If I dwell in the depths of the sea, you are there. If I go to the uttermost parts of the earth, behold, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave. We're not talking about being dead. He's saying, even in the darkest place of the soul of my life, you are there. The sun is is there to rise, to shine a light, to bring salvation, to bring salvation even in that darkness. To what point? To guide your feet. To what? Look at that last line. Don't miss that last line. Where is he going to guide your feet to? The way of peace. Sounds like a road, don't it? When Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. Doesn't it sound like he's given directions? When Jesus says narrow is the a, is a way that leads to life and broad is the way of destruction, doesn't it sound like he's talking about directions, where to go, how to get there? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hey, this light, the Son of God, is going to dawn in your life to provide to you light. For what purpose? So that you know what? Where to go. How to walk so you pay attention to the street signs what road am I on to guide our feet into the way of peace you know I'm good at guiding my feet into the way of war that's what I'm good at I can peck a fight with just about anybody I have a unique, I don't know when it started, my, I don't think my wife is sure. She said when she met me in high school, I wasn't that way. 
<laughs> Maybe it was the Marine Corps. You know, I don't know. I don't know what did it. I don't know what brought it. But I, I somehow developed this incredible gift of being able to peck a fight. That's uh, not really a gift, guys. So don't go home and try to use that. And I recognize, you know, if I hold fast to what Jesus Christ has, what Jesus teaches me, you spend time in the gospel, you'll realize how different my way is than his. How different that is. What's, what's he come? He wants to guide our feet. In Isaiah 53, 6, listen to what it says. All we like sheep have what? Gone astray. We lost our way. We're on the wrong road. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned, every one of us, to his own way. Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it's the road of destruction. Funny how that is. Everyone has turned his own way, so the Lord laid on him, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. My failure went on him. So that I would have an opportunity. So I would have a chance to see the beauty of that sacrifice and bow the knee and say, I'm yours. I'm yours. Isaiah 59 8 says this the way of peace they do not know. That's you and me. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their path, they have made their roads crooked. No one who walks on them knows peace. You know a better way to describe our world right now? Man, there ain't no justice. There's no peace. Our roads are crooked. I want to know that the road I walk is the one God calls me to. So in the 119th Psalm, what does he say? It's the word of God that is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's the word of God that shows me right from wrong. It's the word of God that shows me the street signs. What street you on? Why is it, so, so many people ask, why is it that uh, we, we see within the church today a lack of power, lack of compassion, lack of empathy? Well, here's my answer. We're on the wrong road. We're trying to do it our way. With our own philosophies or concepts or ideals. And so we push those things forward. And we find ourselves struggling to maintain. In a world that grows ever darker. And ever critical. Of the attitude that they find within the church. But sometimes the attitude that we find within the church. Just, just doesn't reflect Christ all that well does it I don't know sometimes I I mean I'm not trying to beat up the church that's the bride of Christ that's not my job but sometimes man I think we lose our way and so we see this morning the example of John the Baptist calling people hey repent change the road you're on let the word of God be your guide recognize that Jesus came to show you the way and he said, one of the beautiful things that I love that he said to the disciples was what? 
Come follow me. So how do I know what road to walk? Well, let's just start with the things we know instead of worrying about the things we don't. Yeah, I don't know how it's all going to wrap up in a neat little bow at the end. But I know that it's not the things I don't know about the Bible that are scary. Just so you know. It's the things I do know. I do know that the things that God calls us to do, don't we? Doesn't he call us to love each other? In this room, in this building, we should be able to love each other? Period. What if we are different? I don't remember that being a qualifier. What if I'm a vegan and, and you're a carnivore? We should probably do that the other way. What if I'm a carnivore and you're a vegan? Oh, man. Oh No, I'm supposed to love you. Because none of that has anything to do with saving a world that's lost in the darkness and needs to see the light of Christ. Finally, in verse 80, it says, And the child grew and became strong. In what? In the Spirit. How do we do anything? Through the Spirit. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The way we win is not through our plan, it's through His. It's by acknowledging he knows the way. He was in the wilderness until the day of his appearance. I don't know if you guys like that, but I like it. Let me put it to you this way. I was in the wilderness until I saw Jesus. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. Right? We know the drill. All the different things that we can think about that, man, he was in the wilderness. He was in a place. He was on a shelf. He was somewhere being prepared by God for what he was going to do. And when it was time to go, when it was go time, he was the man on the scene ready to go. Ready to do whatever God had him to do. Listen, they flocked to him. People couldn't get out of the city enough. They couldn't wait. It's like as though everybody left here and drove up to Balance Rock because there's a crazy guy in the park preaching the gospel. Oh, I want to go see. We, it's hard for us to even fathom. <clears throat> but that's what it was like. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands went out to the Judean wilderness, which, by the way, is another way of saying Big Sandy Desert. They went out to the Big Sandy Desert. Where, where a dirty river called the Jordan, full of dirt, because it's flowing through the desert. Keep tracking with me. They all went out there, man. Long walk, hot days, just to see. Why? Because a man full of the Spirit was doing what God asked him to do. I think that same thing still can happen today. Men and women full of the Spirit saying, I'll do, I'm here, I'm yours. <coughs> However you want to use me, God, use me. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.